Hello, everyone. My name is Shannon. Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. Listen, I am new to podcasting and I am learning a lot. Um, One thing that I'm learning is that I need to talk a bit slower, which is going to be very hard for me. But listen, if you want to speed this up and you don't know about this hack, I also just learned about this. I've been listening to podcasts for years and I'm just learning that you can actually speed people up. You can speed the podcast up. So if you, if my pace is too slow for you, just speed the whole thing up. It's a win-win. The people that think I'm talking too fast, I can please them. And the people that think I'm talking too slow, I can please them too. So here we go. Welcome to the episode. Um, today, I want to talk about time and how you do not have to work out for a long period of time in order to see results. And everyone really wants to spend less time in their workouts and more time in their life. And they still want the same results that longer workouts give them or that they think longer workouts will give them. But I'm here to tell you that the amount of time you spend working out actually has very little to do with the results you will see. What is more important is how you are spending your time, what you are doing within that time. The term working out smarter, not harder is so applicable to exercise. So if you are selecting movements that are effective, your workouts don't really need to be longer than like 45 minutes and many times can just be effective in 30 minutes or less. And the reason people aren't seeing results, even though they are working out hard for an hour or sometimes even longer each day is because they're potentially overloading their joints and underloading their muscles. They are choosing exercises that are only partway effective for creating change in their muscles, which means they have to spend longer doing more exercises to make up for the kind of half stimulus that they got from their poor exercise selection. And this, of course, takes more time and energy. It also adds unnecessary wear and tear on your body. The result from this type of training is that your body and your joints don't feel so great and you spend a ton of time during your week at the gym and then you end up with kind of so-so results and potentially joints that don't feel very good because of the kind of high repetition that you have to go through. And in fact, this can lead to an overdose, so to speak, of exercise that happens when people work out for too long and choose exercises that are stressing their joints for relatively low muscular reward. When it comes to exercise, my philosophy is that you want to choose just enough that will elicit positive change and not overdose so that you don't see negative change. This is important because... Within your body, you have two kind of states, and I'm simplifying this a lot, but you have your catabolic state and you have your anabolic state. Healthy results come from a balance between these two processes, but the scale can easily be tipped to one side or the other. You can have too much catabolic and not enough anabolic or vice versa. Your catabolic state is anything that's breaking tissue down. So catabolic inputs are stressors to your system. In the correct doses, these stressors, like exercise, make your body stronger and more resilient. However, the second piece of the puzzle, and just as important as the catabolic, is the anabolic, or how your body is healing, or how your body is building that tissue back up that was damaged from your workouts. Exercise should be applied with intention. You should have enough of it to stimulate change and trigger the catabolic system, but not so much that you create damage that overwhelms your anabolic system and delays healing. There is an inefficiency to many exercises, many popular exercises that result in needing to choose additional exercises just to fully fatigue a muscle. And again, this takes up a lot of time. 
And fortunately, if your muscles are loaded effectively, it doesn't have to take as much time and you can begin to see better results with even shorter workouts and usually less joint stress. So first, let's discuss how the body adapts optimally to exercise and how you can actually overdose yourself with your exercise routine. So gaining more muscle is generally the goal of exercise, or at least it is in my philosophy. Some worry about bulking, and I get this question in my DMs like every single day. They're like, I get what you're saying. It all makes a bunch of sense, but I'm worried I'm going to bulk up. And bulking generally happens when you're adding fat and muscle at the same time. And bulking doesn't happen overnight. So you're not just going to wake up one day and all of a sudden you're going to be huge. You know, it happens over a long period of time. So if you get to a point where you're happy with your muscle definition, you can just focus on maintenance instead of worrying about increasing the size of your muscles and just kind of go from there. So I just wanted to quickly address those of you that are afraid of bulking that, Again, it doesn't happen overnight, and bulking is generally pretty hard for women to do for most women's genetics, so it really shouldn't be a huge concern. But again, if you're getting to kind of muscular definition that you're happy with, then you could just move into maintenance routine and maintain that muscle mass that you have. So anyways, from a muscle physiology standpoint, increasing muscle happens through hypertrophy. This means that you're increasing the size or diameter of your muscle cells. Muscle cells that are regularly loaded and then allowed proper rest and are fueled with enough protein will enlarge and hypertrophy. This is what leads to having bigger muscles. When you have bigger muscles, your metabolism increases, like I've touched on in other episodes, because Muscle is metabolically expensive, meaning that it takes a lot of calories to maintain. So the more muscle mass you have, the more calories you burn resting, chilling, sleeping, driving, whatever. It also improves your cardiovascular system, having more muscle mass, because your heart has to work harder in order to serve more muscle tissue, since muscle is a very blood and oxygen demanding tissue. So having more muscle is the goal of your workouts because it will eventually help you stay leaner and it will help improve your cardiovascular system. And of course, it makes you look nice and defined and tight, which is also a nice benefit. When people overdose on exercise is when they are focusing on the wrong outputs, like how long they're exercising, how long their workout takes, how much they sweat, how many calories they burn or how kind of systemically fatigued or exhausted they feel afterwards. And these things actually have little to do with the actual effectiveness of your workout. Of course, they can be correlated. In an effective workout, sometimes you sweat and sometimes you burn a lot of calories, but those things don't necessarily cause a good workout, right? So you can have plenty of great stimulus to your muscles that will move the needle for your results without breaking a huge sweat or without burning a bunch of calories or without that workout taking that full 60 minutes. Again, an effective workout will stress the muscles in a way that stimulates hypertrophy or adaptation without unnecessarily stressing surrounding joints. And this sometimes, again, causes sweating and fatigue and sometimes can take a long time, but not always. So we don't want to worry about those measures as a tool to see how effective our workouts were. So focusing on the wrong outputs can be detrimental because if you are focusing on calories out and sweating and how long you're working out, you can miss out on some really beneficial strength training methods that could actually benefit you more in the long term. So let's take an example here. We'll take the example of someone who is running for an hour and then someone who is lifting for 30 minutes. 
So after an hour-long run, let's say this person burns 500 calories after their run. And let's say the person who's doing the 30-minute lifting session, let's say they're lifting lower body, 30-minute lower body lifting session, let's say they burn 200 calories. It's totally reasonable to feel like the running session is more beneficial since it burns more calories. However, what isn't taken into account is the physiological adaptation that's happening under the hood of your body. If you have done a weightlifting routine that is effectively targeting your legs in ways that will simulate change, then you give your body time to recover and you fuel properly, you will actually start to see your work pay off for you in the long run. Because as I've talked about before, muscle burns more calories than any tissue in your body. So if you can add five pounds of muscle on your frame over, say, six months to a year, you could be potentially burning 500 calories per day more than you did when you started lifting just in your sleep, not including your workout. So 500 calories per day, more than you did the year before, before you started lifting. The runner, on the other hand, isn't building muscle in their runs. And some studies actually show that running can deplete muscle. So they aren't improving their metabolism and they're probably making it worse in most running routines. Again, I I hate to make generalizations like that because people listen to this and think that they should never run. And that's not what I'm implying. I'm not implying that running can't build muscle. I'm just saying generally it tends to be less effective at building muscle as more kind of strength training, focus resistance training routines. So back to it. So in the long run, the results from these two workouts might look something like this. The runner burns 500 calories in their run, in their hour long run. Potentially they could have some orthopedic issues because of repetitive impact. And then you have the lifter who's been lifting for 30 minutes for the last year, and they um, actually burn 500 calories more per day just at rest, plus the additional 200 calories from their workouts. And often they have healthier joints if they're programming wisely. So we start to see that this person, the one who's lifting, is actually burning 700 calories per day after about a year of that focus strength training. And they're spending 30 minutes in their workouts versus the runner who is burning 500 calories and spending an hour in their workouts. So we can start to see how this really does have a compounding effect on the way your body functions and on the results that you see. It might not be the fastest way to lose weight, but it is the most sustainable and it's, I I think, healthier on your joints and the most time efficient. And by the way, again, I'm not saying that running is bad. I'm just using it as an example to demonstrate that long-term sustainable results don't have to come from high calorie burn or the length of time that you're exercising. Okay, so hopefully I've convinced you that It is possible to have shorter workouts and still see more benefit, but let's get into it a little bit deeper. I want to talk about a few principles that I recommend that will save you time, but also boost the effectiveness of your workouts. So number one, this is a hot take. I know, probably going to get backlash. Please don't come after me with hate mail. (laughs) But number one is to ditch the heavy squats. And many people will disagree with me on this, which is totally fine. I think I really try to look at exercise from an academic lens, not a personal lens. So this is not a personal attack against anyone who's doing squats. This is just my lens on things. So squats are super popular because they work a lot of muscle groups at once. It's really kind of a full body exercise. They're functional, meaning uh, they translate into your daily life, right? You have to sit and stand a lot during your day, which is basically what a squat is. And they're hard. Let's be honest. You can really see your muscles grow and improve with this exercise. I'm not saying that it's completely ineffective or doesn't have its place. However, 
I really don't recommend frequently doing squats for the general public looking to improve their fitness and keep their joints happy because honestly, squats are biomechanically not the best option for strengthening the legs. I think there are better options. If you have to do heavy squats for some kind of lifting competition and you have to complete this exercise, that might be a better reason to do this exercise with heavy weight more frequently. But for the general population, again, I just think there's better options. So number one, let's talk about the biomechanics of it. Number one, squats load the glutes, but they're bottlenecked by the spine. In other words, your glutes have much greater capacity for being loaded, but your spine is the weakest link, so to speak, meaning you can only lift as much as your spine can tolerate. Additionally, your spine is compressed by the weight you're holding, which is further putting things like the spinal discs at risk. So this exercise generally underloads the glutes and overloads the spine. Of course, we shouldn't be afraid of squatting or sprinkling squats into our routine, but I do think that many people overdose them using them week after week when they're just not the most ideal for developing glute strength and they provide potential wear and tear through the spine. My recommendation for glute training is to choose step-ups instead of squats more often. I've talked about step-ups in many of my episodes, but they're really one of my favorite exercises for targeting the glutes if you do them properly. Make sure your step is high enough to be challenging, but not so high that you're in your end range hip flexion. So I always tell people, set their foot up on the step that they want to step up on and march your knee towards your chest. Make sure you have an inch or two of space left in your hip so you're not at that very end range of your hip motion which is where people tend to be a little bit compromised all right so step one is to ditch doing heavy squats super frequently and secondly how you can cut down on your workout time but boost the effectiveness is to use mechanics to your advantage and hopefully by listening to these podcasts you're starting to kind of get the hang of the fact that physics matter and your levers matter but let's talk about it a little bit more deeper here so choosing a body weight exercise can sometimes be more effective at targeting a muscle group than choosing another exercise that doesn't use ideal levers so you have to use heavier weight. If you're like, whoa, what the hell? Let me explain. So basically, the longer the lever, the more work to the muscle. So if you choose an exercise with an effective lever, you can use less weight to get a lot of work. Let's use an example here to try to wrap your head around this. Let's say you're holding an egg with a spoon. (laughs) Your hand and wrist have to work harder when you're holding the end of the spoon, whereas it gets easier if you hold closer to the egg, right? And this is just levers at play, which can and should be applied to exercise. If you're a fitness professional, I truly think that understanding this physics is so, so important. In fact, I'm doing a teacher training again in the fall, so stay tuned for that if you really want to learn how to apply this stuff. So let's take an example of how levers are at play in your workouts. We'll compare a barbell upright row for targeting the deltoids and a sideline lateral raise for targeting the deltoids. I'll talk about what these two exercises look like, but First off, if you don't know what a deltoid is, it's your main shoulder muscle. So focusing on kind of the shoulder muscle here. So a sideline lateral raise is one of my favorite ways to target the deltoids. It effectively loads the deltoids with less load to the upper traps or neck and the rotator cuff muscles. And since the lever is so effective, you can use a super light weight. So what this exercise looks like is you're laying kind of on one side. You have a dumbbell in your arm that's on top and you're lifting your arm kind of out to the side, stacking your wrist over your shoulder and then bringing your arm back down to your side. So that's what that looks like. A barbell upright row is when you have a bar in front of you, your palms are in towards your body, and you're kind of pulling your elbows up to the side, bringing that weight kind of up underneath your chest or kind of underneath your chin. So that's what a barbell upright row looks like. 
So if I calculate the mechanics of these two exercises, you can get 125 pounds per inch of work to the middle deltoid in a side-lying lateral raise when you're holding five pounds. I calculated this using the length of my arm, so your values might be a little different, but 125 pounds per inch of work using five pounds. Now, if I wanted to get the same amount of work to my deltoids using a barbell upright row, I would have to use an 81 pound bar. This is because of the moment arm or the lever to the deltoid in an upright row is much shorter than it is in a lateral sideline raise. This means there is less work to the deltoid and I have to use a lot more weight in order to get the same amount of work. And although it might make you feel good to be able to lift like 81 pounds easily, it isn't because you are stronger than the person doing the sideline lateral raise with five pounds. It's because the levers are shorter and you're giving yourself a mechanical advantage. And although it might seem more satisfying, lifting the extra weight comes with a cost. With the 81 pounds, you're unnecessarily compressing the spine when you could choose the sideline lateral raise and get the same amount of work with nearly zero spinal compression. The upright row also has other issues as far as the shoulder joint goes, but this is just to demonstrate that lifting more weight may not matter. It's more about the exercise selection and having an understanding of the physics. So don't be fooled that more weight equals more work. It's so much more about mechanics and levers than it is about the weight you're holding. So this brings me to recommendation number three for cutting down your workout time, but in increasing its effectiveness, which is to fatigue muscles properly. There is so much debate about how heavy you should go and how many reps you should do to get the best results. And interestingly, kind of what I found from all of my research and studying of this for years and years is that volume doesn't seem to matter as much as people think. You just have to get to a certain threshold of stimulus. So you could get that through low volume, high weight or high volume, low weight. When the signal to the muscle is maximized, that's really all you need. I tend to think anywhere in the 8 to 20 rep range using moderate resistance for one to four sets is the best. This avoids the risk of using super heavy weight for low sets and injuring yourself, but also reduces the risk of overuse injuries from the high repetition that kind of the high volume, low weight philosophy might sometimes do. Again, you don't need to be afraid of low or high rep. Both have their place, but I just prefer to land somewhere in the middle for the most part for most people. So after each set, you want to make sure that you're pretty fatigued. And research says that ending the set when you have maybe three or four reps left in your reserve or kind of in your tank is suitable for creating the muscular stimulus needed for hypertrophy. Remember, hypertrophy is what will make your muscles grow. You want stronger muscles for an overall healthier, leaner, fitter body. You're fatigued after your set. We get that. But how do you know if you've done too much? How do you know if you've potentially overdosed yourself or what is the right dosage for you? And unfortunately, I don't have the answer for you. Your body is so different and honestly needs a unique approach. So it just takes a bit of trial and error and a bit of patience, but it's absolutely worth going through this process in order to figure out kind of what the right dosage is for your body. And that dosage might change as you kind of go through different things in your life. Maybe as you get stronger, you can increase your dose. Maybe you get in a car wreck or are having a really stressful time in your life and you have to decrease your dose. But just having this tool, I think is really important. So I'm gonna go through what this tool is. So 
first you want to look for some symptoms that you're feeling after your workout. So if you're feeling completely depleted after a workout, that could be an indication that you're overstressing your system. Um, If you feel constantly sore or you have tender spots and you stretch and stretch and stretch and it doesn't seem to go away, this could be a sign of overuse. Or if you're starting to develop constant kind of joint aches and pains, again, this could be a sign that your workout might be overdosed or you're choosing exercises that are overloading your joints and underloading your muscles. One great tool to use to make this more objective for yourself is range of motion. So range of motion is a great tool for you to assess how appropriate your workout was for your body. And I'm releasing an interview next week with Justin Pryor that talks about this more, but I just wanted to touch on it a bit here as well. Your body is constantly scanning your environment for threats. If your nervous system senses danger, like you overdid it in your workouts, or you chose an exercise that crammed your joints or overloaded your joints, your nervous system will respond with tightness. And this is a beautiful protective mechanism that indicates that you may have done something your body didn't like and to maybe choose a different way of doing that exercise or that workout the next time. Conversely, if your nervous system gets good signals like clean muscular output, a balanced workout, etc., range of motion will increase as your body senses a level of safety. Level of tightness can be changed in an instant. Your nervous system is extremely effective at improving or reducing your mobility instantaneously if it senses either danger or safety. So one way to check this is to pick really any range of motion in your body and do that before and after your workout. For example, you could test hamstring length before you start your workout by lying on your back, bringing a straight leg towards your chest without using your hands. You're just using the active hip musculature and measure how free it feels, how high it goes without you pulling on your leg. And then you'll do the same test immediately after your workout. If it feels looser, let's go. It's a great workout. If it feels tighter, first off, this isn't the end of the world. Don't panic. This is good because now you have more information about potentially maybe what you should change next time. Maybe you chose an exercise that your body didn't like, or maybe you need to hone it on your form, or maybe you need to use a little less weight, etc. So that can be a great tool for you to use to discover what exercises are good for your body, what exercises your body likes, and kind of the dosage or how long you should be working out. And remember, you can come back to this tool. You could do it immediately after an exercise if you want to tease out exactly which exercises your body likes. So you could do a round of step-ups. If you're in my program, you could do a round of step-ups, pause the video, test your hamstring length before and after. If you tightened up a bit, maybe you adjust your step. Maybe you adjust your form a little bit. Maybe you do a few less repetitions. Try again, test your hamstring length. If it still feels closed off, maybe you choose another exercise. Maybe you do hip thrusts instead or bridges or something like that. So again, this just takes some trial and error for yourself, but it's so worth going through this process so that you know you're moving yourself in the right direction with the correct dosage. Okay, so my fourth and final recommendation for really decreasing the amount of time you have to work out, but boosting the effectiveness is to implement workout splits. Since we know that muscles need about 36 hours, sometimes longer to fully recover, we can switch which muscles we're working each day to keep our workouts more brief. So when you're only focusing on one to three muscle groups per workout and you choose exercises that utilize levers to add substantial stimulus to the muscles without overloading the joints, you truly only need about 30 minutes to get a great workout that will drive results. So I'll kind of tell you how we did this. So on Monday, we did all glutes in our lower body workout. We alternated between the left and the right glute and the whole workout, including the warm up and cool down, only took 30 minutes. Then yesterday we did upper body. We worked our biceps, our triceps, and our back. Again, that only took 30 minutes and we were pretty dang fatigued by the end of that workout. 
Then today we did core, again, only taking 30 minutes. And then Friday, we'll go back to doing full body, circling back to glutes, quads, chest, shoulders, and abs. So you can start to see how your workouts really don't need to take a long time, but you can hit each muscle group and get effective work and then allow that muscle to recover and then repeat that process again. So this is how you can work out really four to five times per week for short periods and start to see results. So again, just to summarize, you want to do the following things to reduce the amount of time you're working out, but boost the effectiveness. Number one is ditch the heavy squats or at least reduce the amount of heavy squats you're doing. Maybe choose step ups more often instead. Number two is worry more about the effective levers and less about how much weight you're holding. Okay, I gave you some examples with the upright row versus the sideline lateral raise. Number three, find the right dosage for your body and fatigue yourself at the end of every set while maybe keeping three or four reps in your reserve. And then number four is to implement workout splits so your muscles have time to heal in between your workouts, but you can still keep your workouts nice and brief. So if you're repeating this process week after week, fueling with enough protein, maybe adding in some walks and gentle movements on your off days, you will begin to see your body change. I've worked out for less time than I ever have, and yet I see the best results I ever have because I implement this process. So give it a go and see how you feel. And if you want a structured program where we do classes Monday through Friday and I guide you through this exact process, I would love to have you join our fitness membership, Evlo Fitness. There's a seven-day free trial, so you can get in there, see if you like it. We'd love to have you. There's also a Facebook community, which is so fun to kind of see people's results. We get in there and ask each other questions and kind of connect with each other. So that's really fun too. So you'll go to evlofitness.com, E-V-L-O fitness.com, and you can find all the information there. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.